Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 12th episode of the Shea Station Podcast, the newest Mets podcast brought to you by John Boy Media. I am one of your co-hosts today. The date is September 17th. I had, I had to find it for a second. It wasn't up on my computer. Thought it was. Uh, I'm Jolly Olive. Joining me today and always is my good friend Jerry Blevins, who also played Major League Baseball for like a few years. It wasn't that long, really. I don't know. It really wasn't that long. <laughs> Yeah, man. And I'm proud of you. Are you going to remember every episode? And you, are you going to count them? I think so. I, I, I messed up the date. I, we, they didn't see this, but because we cut it. But I messed up my intro for the first time last episode. I was devastated. I had a perfect record. I was really, I was bent up. Yeah, and you and you gave up uh, your secret that you had to uh, make an adjustment. But that's fine. No, I, I'm, I'm transparent about everything, okay? I'm not a perfect man. Okay, we're all new to this. So That's true. Obviously, we have a bunch of Mets fans listening to our podcast, and obviously those Mets fans know what happened this past week, which was not good. And we're going to get to that, we promise. Um, but for those who have, are tuned into Mets social media and have been following along and stuff like that, there was a bomb drop, so to speak, uh, taken by The Athletic and Ken Rosenthal, who is a very reputable MLB source today, uh, suggesting uh, some pretty interesting things for the Mets front office uh, coming this offseason. As most of you know, the Mets front office has been a revolving door of figures this year, uh, mired in controversy, and uh, pretty much there will not be a lot of guys returning next year, aside from Sandy, Alder Sandy Alderson, as it's been uh, suggested. Uh, but Ken Rosenthal suggested that two guys could be coming to us from a different team, and uh, this is a team that you, Jerry, are very familiar with, being that you played there for many years in your career. This this is, first of all, you, you said it, Ken Ro Rosenthal is... Top top notch, classy, doesn't report bullshit. He's straight to it. Um, I respect everything that he writes. He's not saying this is happening. What he's saying is this would be a great fit. And he's probably got a little bit of insider view on maybe some some of the machinations that are happening that, that, that could see the ball rolling. But for me, this is like a match made in heaven. I love the Mets. I'm here talking about them. I love the A's. They gave me my first shot. Billy Bean was my first GM that brought me over, gave me my, my first chance. And Bob Melvin is simply like the greatest coach manager I've ever had. Um, pretty spectacular. Uh, <laughs> if that could happen, it'd be like my, my two worlds combining. If it's possibility, the Mets need to do whatever they can to make this happen because if you want to push into the right direction, this is the way to go. Um, that would be wonderful. I'd be all for it. Uh, I, I don't know the likelihood of any of this, but the fact that it's being written by Ken Rosenthal on The Athletic is a step in the right direction because this would be 
awesome. This would be incredible for the for the whole organization. So for those who don't know, Ken Rosenthal reported early this morning that uh, the Mets uh, and a pairing of the manager of the Oakland A's, which is uh, Bob Melvin, and then their general manager, Billy Bean, both long time there, uh, would be a perfect fit for the New York environment and stuff like that. And Steve Cohen has a lot of funds to go around and stuff like that. Um, now, reporting speculation is one thing, and a lot of beat writers and guys in the baseball industry and stuff like that. They like to do that. And like, they, they like to garner clicks and like, it's part of the game. I get it. And like, you know, there's obviously going to be a lot of this coming this off season. Cause the Mets have a ton of questions to address uh, after what's been uh, a disappointing season. But the, oh, the only thing, the reason why you suggest we open with this and I totally agreed is that it's coming from the athletic, which is no joke. Uh, the athletics has broken many news stories before they broke uh, the Astros cheating scandal and stuff like that. Uh, so the fact that it's coming from the mouthpiece of Ken Rosenthal, which I view as the the face of the athletic, uh, with a bunch of uh, really reputable writers over there, uh, is very encouraging to me because one, I, I fully agree that uh, the cost efficient managing and the smart decision making made by the A's over the years has enabled them to be a perennial contender to at least make the playoffs, which is something that the Mets need to get going uh, for sure if they want to have a chance at this three to five year of plan that they boasted last off season and. You know, there's a couple quotes in here that are definitely uh, eyebrow raisers, uh, for sure. Um, The one that caught my eye the most was Ken Rosenthal saying that Billy Bean would, quote-unquote, almost certainly, quote-unquote, want to reunite with Sandy Alderson in Queens, because Sandy Alderson is a former Oakland A's front office guy, and would want to bring Bob Melvin with him. So I I just wanted to gauge your thoughts on that. Like, what the relationship between Alderson and those guys, are you familiar with it at all, I guess? I I am. So when Sandy left the Mets, he went straight to the A's because Sandy is, or was, I could be speaking above my head here, but this is my knowledge of what it is. Sandy was the first mentor for for Billy Bean. He's, again, just like me, I have so much respect for Sandy as a human being, as a, as a professional person and a, a powerful mind. Billy attaches himself or understands that, that you surround yourself with people that you admire. And that's what he's done. He brought Sandy back over to Oakland. Uh, and then when Sandy came over here, I mean, it'd be ideal. Um, if we can get Billy Bean, amazing. And on top of that, Bob Melvin, again, he's my favorite manager that I've ever had in, in any level in any sport. He's the, like, if you want to say coach, uh, he just knows how to motivate. He's like a leader. He, he was the guy that like, if I'm playing and I have a bad outing, I feel bad because I feel like I let him down. Like uh, he'll come over and put my arm, his arm around me, like just a, just an amazing leader of men in another world. He would be, you know, a general leading an army kind of guy, you know what I mean? Like a gladiator style, just a great human being, great leader. Um, I, I'm going to dive deeper into this article. It's only been out less than an hour uh, again, but it seems that there's got to be some type of spark that started Ken on, on this path. Um, because, you know, if Billy Bean comes over, which would be incredible, and you can get Bob Melvin, who's you know lived in New York, is kind of a New York guy himself, um, it would be magical. And so I, I'm excited to, to dive deeper to kind of you know do my first you know post career kind of investigation where I go poke some sources and kind of see engage the the Bay Area on what this means. And but yeah, man, it's it's. If it, if it somehow winds up happening, or even if it's a possibility, I would do everything in my power to make this happen for the Mets, because this would be an absolute win on every level. 
So here's what I wanted to, to bring up. So we, we probably have a lot of Mets fans listening and maybe some newer baseball fans that aren't as familiar with these guys and their you know reputation around the league. Uh, Bob Melvin has been managing the A's since 2011, which is 10 years now. So that's almost unheard of in this sport for a manager to be on the ship that long uh, with the same team. We see managers bounce around a lot and stay in the league that way, but Bob Melvin is one of the most longstanding managers in the game right now to stay with the same team. He is the longest tenured. I think manager it's him, right? Leagues, I believe. Yep, yep, it's him. It was Sosha who Sosha moved on, and now it's him. And it, it incredible. I was there when. So we had Bob Guerin before he came over to New York, um, and he uh, Melvin took over for us in 2011, and we were terrible. Uh, in 2012, the most magical season of my career, we climbed out of the cellar and ran down and won the AL West. We did it again the next year and they, we became a perennial powerhouse. He just has a way of maximizing players. He cares about them as human beings that he finds a way to put them in the most advantageous of, of circumstances to succeed. And he's, he does a wonderful job in that. And, you know, Billy Bean uh, on the other hand is, is Mr. Moneyball. Like he's, he's one of the best baseball minds. He's a former player, just like Bob Melvin understands the 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 goings on and just just a smart baseball mind and he's he's done an incredible job at the helm of a a small market team in Oakland that doesn't have the budget and if he can expand it you guys go watch Moneyball go watch Moneyball if you haven't already yeah see what could have lured him into into Boston at the time and now if he gets another shot at it in New York that would be wonderful yeah, so Mel, just to go over Melvin's record with the A's, uh, four separate 90-win seasons, 94, 96, 97, twice, uh, three AL West crowns, and then six trips to the playoffs in those 10 years. Uh, there was a bit of a lull there from 2015 to 2017, but otherwise, Melvin has had a rotating roster of players, really not a lot of stability there. Uh, he's been on-base focused, as has Billy Bean, of course, with their position players, and he's been able to work uh, with those circumstances for a decade. Uh, and now you're airing the idea that he can come to a city uh, with a huge market and a huge payroll and basically reshape the way that he can run the team because he'll have more assets at the helm. So I get the appeal for uh, Melvin for sure there. I'm, I, and you pointed out the end of Moneyball where Billy Bean, you know, does not go to the Boston Red Sox. He stays in Oakland because he wants to win the title there. Um, Billy Bean has been in Oakland longer than Bob Melvin has. And, you know, I, I don't know if he would say yes, because he's already said no to a big market team once that would go on to win the World Series uh, just a season later, I believe, right? Because he said no in 03, and then they won in 04, if I'm not mistaken. So it's definitely, you know, a, a bit, as I said before, a bit of an eyebrow raiser, because you don't know if these guys would leave after such a long time. And I really can't see them not in the green and yellow. But of course, as a Mets fan, that's all I want to see. I I agree with that 100%. I, could, I can't see them not wearing the green and gold. I, I can see Melvin Melvin moving on at some point if he's given that opportunity. He loves Oakland. So does so does uh, so does Billy Bean. There's a reason why they've stayed there. As of as an Oakland A's former player, and a, a, I love that organization as much as I do the Mets. I truly do. I love that fan base in a similar way. I would be devastated for them because not only on the they're always on the verge of losing their organization and their team to a different city with all the stuff that goes on in the ballpark. Uh, they lose their players constantly because they can't, they don't pay them. They, they don't ever get to keep a superstar. It's a tough place to be a fan. And for them to lose the two guys at the helm that have been 
stalwarts of an organization that that turned a corner and started winning again when when Melvin took over it would be devastating and I would be heartbroken for for a, a team that I truly care about um but on the other end of it it would be an amazing get for the organization of the New York Mets to top to bottom to be able to reshape you know I think they're headed in the right direction now I really do I think the Mets under Stevie Cohen and hiring Sandy Alderson I think they're restructuring from the lower minor leagues from the academies all the way up to the big leagues they're shaping it but I think if you could hire a Billy Bean to do this who would hire and attract other great minds to come in I think it would just streamline that and speed it up uh, and really point in the right direction again I don't see it happening but it would be an amazing thing I don't know how much uh, fire is behind this smoke but you know, if somebody's going to start these flames and Ken Rosenthal, it's, it's, you're going to get some people to look in. So uh, I'm excited to see what, what, what goes on and, and what comes of this and what people start talking about. It's one of those first media stories where I'm like, you know, there's a lot of bullshit going on. And then I'm like, Oh wait, you know, what's this? They had the controversy with Stevie Cohen and the, the Mike Puma story on, on who's the source. And that's just like, you know, that's like reality TV kind of, I don't care, but this, this is the stuff that I'm all in on. I'll, I'll, I'll do the, I'm the Michael Jackson thriller gif of him eating the popcorn. Like this is exciting. <laughs> That's a nice little modern reference there. Nice dude. I like that. <laughs> a little gif reference. Yeah. And I, like you mentioned it before, we're in, we're in year one of this Cohen ownership experiment and it's going to be a longstanding experiment because you know, he's going to be the owner for the foreseeable future. There's been a lot of drama. There's been a lot of tweeting. Uh, and there hasn't been a lot of results on the field. And that's what a lot of people are taking away from this. But you got to remember, you know, these things get on their feet slowly. The Mets, you know, praised depth this year, had a lot of depth, and it all went away really quick. And it sort of bottomed out that way. And, you know, as soon as we got our key pieces back, they floundered. So there's a lot of questions to address in the offseason. But I think that addressing uh, the top of the chain first is probably the most important. You know, you can re-sign Javi. You can go get a big bat. You can go get a big pitcher. But none of it will work if you don't have the right guys in charge. And these guys have been doing it for a decade. And Oakland, I, I, you know, I, I really appreciate your admiration for them and your fondness of your time there. But there's no way in my mind that without Melvin and Bean at the helm that a system like the one in Oakland should be functioning enough to get six playoff berths in 10 years. That's ridiculous to me because, you know, the Mets haven't made the playoffs in six years. And they now own, you know, one of the highest payrolls in baseball. So if you combine that with the stability of two guys that took, you know, this franchise from the dumps and made them a perennial contender. Um, you know, that's a really bright future. And I, I, we, we're going to be talking about a lot of speculation in the offseason. There's going to be a lot of free agent discussion. It's going to be a long slog to get to the actual news. But the fact that we're getting a nugget like this when the regular season is going on is hard to ignore. So why, that's why I wanted to, you know, preface the show and open the show with this because I think, you know, it's just, it's just interesting. It's just not something I expected to be in the discussion one this early and two at all. So. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's going to happen, you're going to have to start putting planting seeds early because this is a huge move. It's something that, that kind of jarred us as a Mets organization. It jarred the organization because we had to make later moves for front office positions because of various reasons, but the earlier you get that person in charge and he's able to, to get its soldiers underneath, the shape of the organization can fall into place a lot smoother. You, you get your, your infrastructure built and then you can start filling everything else. And, and that's something that 
I think uh, Sandy Alderson found more difficult because teams are holding on and not letting him interview um, uh, earlier. And, and he had a hard time filling in those roles. Um, so if you can do it early and you can do it at that caliber at literally at the top, the elite of the elite, that's a, that's a huge move. And it says nothing. I have has nothing to say um, about who they're, who they have now. It's not a knock on Louis Rojas. It's not a knock on, on their entire front office now, but just like, just like if I were a player, if you go out and sign Aaron loop to be, do my job, Aaron loop is better, right? Like look at the season he's putting together. Or if you got Aroldis Chapman to be the lefty, you know, whatever the case may be, there's people better than you at your job. Like it, it's a, it's a fact. And so if you can go out and get the top of the top, it's nothing but good for the organization. And if you're, if you're, if you throw those guys in front of the, of the ship and let them steer it, that's, that's a wonderful combination. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Pure speculation, but, but a fun one. We've heard the Mets be tied to a couple high profile names uh, this year, even when they were in first place. Uh, one was Theo Epstein, uh, who has had his own troubled hires in the past, and that's something the Mets really can't afford again. Uh, and he's also have has a nice, comfy job in the MLB commissioner's office. I doubt he leaves that uh, to try and do another curse-breaking pursuit. The other name was David Stearns, but he's having a fantastic season with the Brewers. He's really put together a solid offense of guys that were replacement level or left over by other teams. I doubt Milwaukee lets him walk away under any circumstance. They're about to make the playoffs for the fourth con- fourth consecutive year. Excuse me. Um, but this one, you know, it, there is, you know, a reason why the A's owner would likely maybe let this kind of thing happen. John Fisher, um, in the article, a quote from this, uh, he said he would welcome the opportunity to hire low cost replacements for Bean and Melvin. His first move to, uh, could be to elevate assistant GM, David Force to president of baseball operations. They also have a whole fiasco going on with their potential new stadium. So they're constantly trying to manage cost over there and Billy Bean and, uh, Bob Melvin are worth top dollar and, you know, eventually they might want to seek top dollar payment. So, I mean, this is the one I believe in the most, I guess is the short rounded way of saying all that. I agree. This is the one that isn't like, if, if you could do it, like Theo Epstein, like you said, he has a, like a completely unique job with the, with the commissioner's office where he has a lot of flexibility experimentation to, to keep him stimulated. And it looks like he's, you know, can, he has a little bit more freedom to do kind of creative things in that sense. Um, under Billy Bean in Oakland, yeah, yeah, Farhan, who came up with me in Oakland, we kind of were at the same time coming up and look what he's doing in San Francisco. It's wonderful. David Force was there before him. Like he's a great mind himself. He's done wonderful job. Uh, they, they're going to, the organization there is already set up for success. They draft well, they prepare their, their players. Well, they have a streamlined structure of, of, development they do a wonderful job they have matt chapman uh, at third base you know um matt olson at first base and hey, maybe we can get them too that'd be nice oh my gosh <laughs> uh, like again again we can dream can't we but yeah but they 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 i think ken ken rosenthal touched on based on letting marcus simeon go and how that kind of maybe stung a little bit from a player development GM mind. They probably wanted to him at least extend him a, a qualifying offer so he could stay one more year. And you see what he's doing 
in in Toronto. He's in, he, another MVP, like just an incredible year. Outside of Shohei Otani, Vlad Jr., Marcus Simeon is arguably above Vlad Jr. Like Otani's doing something that nobody else is doing because he's pitching at an elite level as well. But Marcus Simeon is is the player that they thought he was. Simeon might place third in MVP voting. Maybe him or Mullins. I could see that, but he's right there. Yep, yep. He's a he's the key cog. Uh, he stung their old organization with a walk off homer the other like, day. Like these A's are contending, but can you imagine if they had Semyon in the middle of their lineup? They went through an offensive drought recently in a bunch of important games. So I'm sure that stings. What happened at the end of their first run? That when I got when I left, they they traded all their guys again. They traded Doolittle. They traded Cespedes. They got rid of Donaldson. Uh, they just they just can't keep their guys around um because they don't want to pay him and the Mets showed that they are willing to pay guys and so if you find if you find uh, a team willing to allow you to make those big decisions I can't see how it wouldn't be enticing at least given real thought if that was an offer made to Billy Bean he may not do it I doubt he does but if he did this is the place he would go. Yeah. Steve Cohen can make all the statements he wants with getting big names in the lineup and in the rotation but this is the biggest move he could make. And, you know, this move exists uh, in other aspects as well with different guys and stuff like that. But in terms of name value, in terms of provedness and stuff like that, Billy Bean and Bob Melvin would be the biggest get. So, you know, we're, we're instilling hope in our listeners' ears uh, because what's going on in the real world of the Mets <laughs> right now is not great uh, at all. Yeah. But, you know, I guess, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll try and tackle that now as well. Let's let's jump in. Let's jump into the ugly sweep that we just got a gut punch. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, if you're listening, you were under a rock this week and didn't see what happened. Hopefully your power was out for three days and you couldn't access SNY or PIX11 or whatever. I hate I hate to be the bearer of bad news then. Like, I don't want to deliver this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's lose-lose, honestly. You can't win here. <laughs> the Mets got swept at home by their old nemesis, the St. Louis Cardinals. And everything about this series was just very... Um, symbolic of the Mets season, really, especially game two, which we'll tackle in more expanded detail. Game one, uh, which was the one that I was at after the incredible Subway Series game the night before, uh, I went uh, to this game and, you know, left in the eighth inning because why would I stay? The Mets lost 7 nothing. They left them loaded in the first inning against Wayno after McNeil struck out on three pitches, and that was sort of telling of the rest of the game. Rich Hill had an okay outing. Uh, we mentioned on the last pod that Paul Goldschmidt tags him every time he faces him. That happened again. Goldschmidt had a home run and another RBI knock. Uh, for Hill, it was five innings, three earned runs, and four Ks, which is about all you can ask of the Mets rotation right, right now, which is clearly uh, gassed uh, completely. Wayne shut down the Mets for six scoreless. The bullpen held them there. Uh, the Mets went 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position, left nine on base. It's just another one of those Mets losses where they couldn't come up in big spots. Uh, game two was the real gut punch here, though. Game two, game two was the big one. It was uh, Marcus Stroman versus the rookie Jake Woodford. Uh, and the Mets showed a sense of urgency because they jumped right on top of Woodford. Bottom of the first started off with VR, Lindor, Conforto, all going back to back to back uh, singles. The third one being Conforto's RBI single. Uh, then Javi Baez comes up, shows some savvy, shows some team play, drops a two out bunt with a runner on third. RBI single bunt, beautiful. Uh, Mets go up two nothing in the first. Top of the fourth, St. Louis did what they do. They manufactured two runs off of uh, off of Marcus Stroman to tie it at two. Uh, then the Mets answered in the bottom of the fifth, get a sack fly for Michael Conforto, his second RBI of the game. 
Uh, that makes it 3-2 Mets. Some great pitching in between that. You get the top of the eighth, a 97-mile-an-hour sinker with a runner on first from Jerry's Familia and Tyler O'Neill, who looks like a creative player who's the most jacked human <laughs> I think I've ever seen. He looks like he had these – he looks like uh, the the fake – you know, Under Armour model that you see in the store, like the mannequin, you know, Dick Sporting Goods, like the mannequin. I was like, oh my God, are those real? Like, I want to tap them to see if they're implants. But <laughs> he showed that they're real because he planted that that nasty sinker deep into center field, just left of that the the home run apple. That was a bomb. A big two run shot, a bomb. Not on a terrible pitch. Again, Familia gives up a big homer, but it wasn't like, you know, he had to throw a cookie up there. He threw a good pitch. Tyler O'Neill planted it big two run shot that puts the that puts the Cardinals up four to three in that situation and it felt horrible because it was like we needed this game we lost the opener in order to win this series which we've been trying to do uh we needed this game and so they the, the Cardinals jumped up four to three that comes up the bottom of the ninth uh Javi Baez steps up first pitch huge swing home run ties the game at four Baez comes full circle, gets a gets a curtain call, comes out, drops the flex on him. Wonderful. Uh, the Mets in the game in regulation, four to four, come back. You know, let's go. Top of the ninth or top of the tenth runner on second. Heath Hembry comes into the game, does the magician's escape job, gets out clean, huge, felt great. Bottom of the tenth is a, all we got to do is put that one run in to score them. We had first and third, one out. Our, our big bopper up and Francisco Lindor, everything feels right. He rips a shot down the first baseline. Paul Goldschmidt reminds us why he has three gold gloves over there, fields it, steps on first for the second out, turns and fires knowing he has enough time, fires home just in case, gets uh, Pilar in a rundown, eventually tag him out. We end it, uh, come up short in the 10th, and that really, that really pushed us out. So that, that felt terrible so that goes into the 11th inning or the the second extra innings of the runner on second uh and this is the microcosm of our of our season here of the Mets season you know you got a, a big situation and our Jake Reed who's been good for us but isn't one of our guys has to pitch that inning there's there's a lot of decisions that that could have been made but Jake Reed is the pitcher and he really had his first hiccup as a Met and it was a big one because he gave up three runs um in the top of the, of the 11th inning. Uh, then that brings us to the bottom of the 11th inning and the Mets fight and fight and do again, the microcosm fight all the way back to within one run and just wind up just short with Albert, Al, Albert Almora Jr. Making the pinch hit there and gets a ground ball the second to end it. The Mets lose seven to six. This one stung. This was tough. Mike Marcus Stroman pitched great, went six, gave up two. Conforto is, uh, had the, the big two RBI. Baez goes two for two with three walks, including that game-tying home run and the bunt three single. Walks. Three walks. The guy's been fantastic. Um, Mets lose. That, that hurt because that felt like we just lost the series. At least we're, gonna, we're in desperation mode to win the next game, but this one hurt. Yeah, we're going to talk the managerial decisions after this, but just a, just a couple notes from this game. Uh, Michael Conforto had the go-ahead sack fly in the fifth inning uh, with the bases loaded and one out, and I think he missed a grand slam by maybe six feet um, on the foul ball that came right before it. That hurt. Yeah. That could have made it a 6-2 uh, game instead of a 3-2 to two game. 
Uh, what else we got here? Baez with the three walks, which, which was great. Heath Hembury yielded uh, the first ground ball double play he got all season to get out of that 10th inning. Big moment. Huge moment. Biggest moment as a Met, uh, assuredly. And then the Mets, uh, all they needed was a fly ball to win. They grounded a double play instead. Yeah, it was just it, the most frustrating game of the season, in my opinion. The, like, uh, you needed a win here the most uh, out of any day in the season. You had a win in your grasp maybe three times. And the Familia home run is incredibly frustrating, especially because it was on another sinker, which I couldn't believe. But Tyler O'Neill's ripped. You know, he's a, he's a creative player. Uh, and, you know, I think this just took the, the steam out of the team uh, headed into the series finale, which was an 11-4 to loss the next day. Uh, poor Tyler McGill. I think he's just completely overworked at this point. Uh, his stuff just didn't look like it was there. The velo was down. He had that great start against the Yankees, and I think that was definitely encouraging for him. But the Cardinals just, they tattooed him. Uh, nine hits and two walks in just three innings, six earned runs allowed, three Ks. Mets offense went one for 14 with runners in scoring position. Pete Alonso got robbed of a three-run homer that would have made it a one-run game. Seth Lugo allowed a couple home runs. It was just bad on all fronts. Nobody played well. Uh, and the Cardinals, you know, they got three wins they needed to get, and now they're in the second wild card spot with a bit of a cushion. They still have some teams chasing them, um, but they did what they needed to do, and we didn't, and there's no real... Uh, way to say that otherwise and you can blame it on managerial decisions you can blame it on not scoring enough runs you can blame it on not coming through in big spots you can do whatever you want that's kind of been the entire Met season there have been opportunities and the opportunities have been uh, gone through the wayside so pretty frustrating series we lost another one run game yep we got beat by a better team uh they just played better they 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 did we had some big moments we had some big performances uh but we got swept and there you could tell the Cardinals are are up and we're a little bit desperate. It's fine. It 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 is what it is. We're not done. Surprisingly. We mathematics. It's it's math now. You you've eliminated the possibility of of a storyline. Now it's it's math. You're you're pushing against it. You you basically have to win out um to feel, you know, to give yourself a real chance, which is possible. This team can put together a run. We still have talent, but it but this one felt like uh you, you, you pop the balloon and now it's deflating inevitability is it's going to crash and burn on the ground. The Led Zeppelin is on its way down. Here's all, here's all I want. And we're going to, we're going to get to probables in a second, but you have the Phillies for three games coming up and the Phillies just had a big win last night and they have a head full of steam and they're trying to get that second wild card spot. And I, I don't, I hate, I hate one team. I hate one team because when I first started rooting for the Mets, this team crushed my dreams two seasons in a row. And that's the Philadelphia Phillies. If you can just play spoiler, and, you know, try and finish above the Phillies and keep them out of it, I'm a happy guy. That's a win for me, honestly. Uh, obviously, you want to see playoff baseball in New York and stuff like that. And the Mets, you know, they've had a lot of opportunities go by the wayside. But now they're in a fun position to influence the playoffs a little bit. They have the, a Red Sox series coming up as well. They have a series with the Brewers. They have the series with the Phillies. So, you know, there's still going to be competitive, fun baseball to watch down the stretch. And, you know, if you're a Met fan and you're feeling discouraged, like, you know, watch these games. Like, even if you're discouraged and, you know, the Mets might not play well, it's the last Mets baseball you might get for six months. So I, I'm still going to tune in every night. We're still going to talk about it in that way. But uh, enjoy. There, uh, there's still a shot. There's still a shot. It is a puncher's chance. We are, you know, we're like Rocky getting our butts kicked for, I don't know how many rounds in Rocky. I think it's 15. We only go 12 now. But, you know, this is this, we're in the 14th and we're just swinging. We're down on points. We've been knocked down about 15 times and we got to knock them out. So we got to we got to win out. I know it was us that blew it, but, you know, seven games up with 17 to go. That's happened before. I mean, larger leads, <laughs> larger leads have been blown. 
That's true. We're, we've been on the other end of that. So why, why don't we do that? Yeah, but we can make it happen to somebody else. Gosh, man, it was 17 with, or seven with 17. Imagine me, a young nine-year-old kid in 07, rooting for the Mets for the first time ever after they won the NLEs last year and watching them blow that lead. In my first full <laughs> season paying attention to baseball and tracking stats and being invested in the team. Yeah, so that's why I hate the Phillies. If you're a Phillies fan listening to this for some reason, I'm sorry. I don't hate you. I just hate your team. That's all. That's all it is. That's, you gotta, I love that you hate a team. That's what baseball, that's what sports. I'm mostly impartial is. to everything, but I hate the Phillies. I hate them so much. <laughs> I, 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 that is fair because uh, I get it. The That's what fandom is. You were 9 in 07 when they did that? It was none. Yep. You want to know what I was doing in 07? You were making your MLB debut, baby. <laughs> I was making my debut. That's what's up. As a 24-year-old. Hell That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, people have been praising our chemistry, but there is that, what, 15-year age difference, 16? I love it. I love our age difference because I'll, I'll say something. You, you, I said uh, I used the Michael Jackson thriller gif, and you were like, hey, it's a modern thing. Good for you, <laughs> bud. Good for you, paps. <laughs> Hey, when you reference like gifts and memes, I'm like, let's go, Jerry. That's you know. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm He's in with it. the times. He's with it. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm an old guy, but I'm a proud old guy. You're good. I mean, you got forty thousand Twitter followers. You got to be doing something, I'm, right? <laughs> I'll never feel ashamed for the age. I, I wear it proudly. Hell yeah! If there's a generational gap, things that I don't know about, I'm not afraid to not know that we're rocking it. I mean, they do that on Farm to Fame too with uh, Kelsey and Peter. I'm pretty sure Peter's a little bit older than her, but you know, ours is drastic in that way but i like it i dig it uh so we had a couple good offensive performance here uh once again it was javi Baez, uh three for ten in the series home run four walks and i think you know whatever the mets are doing with his approach it's working because that on-base percentage continues to rise and because of it that ops continues to rise uh two rbis in the series as well conforto went three for 12 had a hit in every game he has a seven game hit streak so good for him they talked on Talking Baseball about uh, the Maker Jake team and Michael Conforto made it. Basically, the guys that can really drive up their value in the last couple weeks of the season and, you know, turn that into an offseason discussion uh, regarding free agency and contracts like that. So Conforto still has a lot to play for in these last two weeks to kind of bump up his stats. He, he's the kind of guy that, that's going to play his, his – he's going to play hard no matter what. He, he's shown it in seasons past that he wants to play. Doesn't care where the team – he cares where the team is, but he's going to play as hard as he can. Uh, you mentioned, you know, free agent value. I think Javi Baez has done. Oh yeah. Absolutely wonderful for himself because he's really showcased what he's capable of doing. He's done it defensively. He's had a little bit of, of aggressive mistakes defensively, but I'll take that all day. He's done it. He's shown his base running prowess. He's shown his big moment, stepping up, hitting homers, dropping bunts. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for him. Uh, and this is the first time I've really dissected his style of play. I've, I've watched and admired from afar, but I think he brings an element to a clubhouse that's it's above his play because he's, he seems like a, a good clubhouse guy. So, uh, you know, it's come full circle from him doing this and that whole controversy, he got a curtain call <laughs> And for that, for that home run in game two, it's ridiculous. It was amazing. That's, that's what it is. And that's what he brings. He brings, he brings passion. It's the beauty of New York baseball for sure. Yeah. So with by, as you were mentioning, driving up his value and stuff like that. And, you know, you have to talk about the fact that this is a loaded shortstop class uh, with Trevor story, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager hitting the market. Javi Baez went from kind of the bottom of the rung there 
uh, with those guys and has now turned into uh, the multi-positional guy that's developing plate discipline, still has his pop, still steals bases. He's quickly climbing up, I think, the wanted list of these shortstop guys, which is going to make it harder for the Mets to bring him back. But I think, you know, with this tandem with Lindor and, like, you know, how he's sort of endeared himself to New York fans recently, um, I, I, I like our chances of getting him back. And, you know, it's going to be tough, and you're going to have to pay him. And Cohen has proved, or I guess Cohen has suggested that he's willing to do that many times. Um, but I would really like to see the Mets bring this guy back for sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it's going to take. But if you're a free agent like like Javi Baez, what do you want from a team? You want to you want uh, to play with good guys, and you have Francisco Lindor, a good friend of yours, a great player, locked up. You have a big market where they're always going to go for it with an ownership that's willing to spend a team that wants to win and wants to win now. And he's got that. And he has a chance to, to do that. He's shown that he can play here, which is, you know, uh, not everybody can do it. Um, and he wouldn't be the guy here. He wouldn't have to be the guy, you know, you have other people around him that, that can step up, which, which is a good thing because he can play, his brand of baseball and, and take big swings and strike out in occasions. And, and he wouldn't be the, you know, the goat, but uh, I, I like the fit here. I don't, I don't know if I, again, you know, you get better minds than mine to, to come together and figure out what you want out of this organization and moving forward. Um, you know, they have a couple or they have uh, Mauricio in the minor leagues, developing coming up fast he's he's a spectacular prospect and and you don't want to stall his growth um so i don't know how far down the line you look but uh yeah it should be fun man and i it might just come down to if he wants to play shortstop or if he's okay hanging out at second base he did say before he got traded and i think this might have fueled the trade in the first place was that the only team he would play second base for was the mets so that he could play with lindor so i hope that still stands that's all I ask. I think so. I think you saw it with Manny Machado during his free agent, you know, run. He wanted he played shortstop. He wanted to be a shortstop, but when the the money came and they said, "Hey, why don't you just slide over to third base?" He said, "Oh, okay, I'll sign." <laughs> 300 million? Sure, sure. I'll Why not? Yeah, so I mean, that's going to be a whole other discussion in the offseason as are many of the things that we've discussed in this episode. We can talk about uh the the series itself. Uh I'm What's up? I wanted to just, I'm just really disappointed in that game three recap that you didn't take the chance to say Lars Newt bar. You know, okay. Here's here, what a name. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, it annoys me that a guy named Lars Newt bar did what Lars Newt bar did. If that makes sense. <laughs> I feel like that is a mockery of the game. That's not come on. Like even, even if, even the fact that you wanted to say that it was a mockery, the getting to say Lars Newt bar is a W. No, no, I think it's an L, honestly. I think if, Lar- if Lars Newtbar beats your team, that's an L. It's not like, oh, wow, Lars Newtbar. It's, ugh, Lars Newtbar. But ju- it's fun to say. I did just say it five times in the past minute, and I'm, I'm kind of warming up to it. I'm not going to lie. I th- it's just a, it, the way it, it's written, it's wonderful. I love the name. Lars Newtbar. It's a Cardinals random name generator player. You know, where they kind of just pull up random guys. Like Tommy Edmond was one of those guys for me where they just like pulled him up from AAA and he was instantly incredible and getting on base every five seconds, you know, and Lars Newtbar is just another one of those guys. To, to me, Lars Newtbar is the comedy periphery, like in a comedy movie, he's like the weird um, 
strange guy that pops in for like five scenes that's like a yoga he's like a gag he's like a yoga maybe like a um a shaman that's like oh it's Lars Nutbar my you know my emotional support you know was this where your mind was when we got robbed of a three-run homer you're like hmm I wonder what kind of comedy character he would be I was just like excited to hear Gary Cohen say Lars Nutbar yeah in his very professional Gary Cohen voice oh I love it uh, so yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna expand too much on game three because it was just a, a beatdown of sorts. Uh, game two was the one winnable one that we had mentioned before with a lot of missed opportunities. And as always with Mets fans, there was a calling to question of the managerial decisions in this one. Uh, I've tried my best to steer clear of being critical, being overly critical of Rojas. I've harped on some decisions uh, in episodes past, especially on the West Coast road trip and stuff like that. It was game two, and I had tweeted this. If you follow me on Twitter, you, you'd have saw this. Um, so Stroman came out in the sixth inning with 89 pitches. Okay, whatever, fine. The seventh inning featured a 7-8-9 in the Cardinals order. You could argue that you leave Stroman out there for 10, 15 more pitches, see if he can get through seven and uh, stretch out the bullpen. I don't. I, I, I personally didn't have a gripe with him getting taken out in the sixth, uh, but if you wanted to put him out for seven, I could see that too. That's kind of like a throw it up in the air kind of thing. Here's what I had a problem with in game two. Aaron Loop mowed down 7-8-9 in four pitches uh, to get through the seventh. Four pitches. Uh, coming off a day off as well. Uh, so he was fully rested, that kind of thing. I thought for sure that we would see him again in the eighth for 1-2-3. Instead, Rojas opted for a pinch hitter with one out and nobody on. Uh, J.D. Davis came up, who has been an incredible pinch hitter. I think he's 9-for-20 as a pinch hitter now, and he did hit a pretty deep fly ball. But you sacrificed Loop on four pitches uh, for that. And pretty much right after was the Jerry's Familia home run uh, that gave them the lead. And then Trevor May came in and got two big outs after that. So in that situation, we haven't used loop for two a lot this season, but we have used loop for two in a couple spots where we needed a win and it's worked every time we've done it. Do you think that Aaron Loop deserved a second inning in that game? And if you put him in the eighth and get DS for the ninth, do you think the Mets win the game? Um, It's a tough call. I think, did he deserve it? It's not like, it's not like uh, Louis Rojas denied Aaron Loop a second inning. Aaron Loop did his job. Not, not if Rojas should have. I'm asking if Aaron Loop deserved it. Like if you're Aaron Loop and you threw four pitches to get three quick outs and you have top of the order coming and you've had your season, do you think you deserve the eighth? Uh, deserve again. It's not like you're rewarding him. He did his job. Like going out for a second inning isn't a reward. It's not like, hey, congrats. You did great. You get to go another. It's a different ball game coming out of the pen um i agree with the move because he pinch hit he tried to score more runs which the mets need we needed more runs um stroman getting pulled after after 89 pitches again i don't think this is louis rojas's decision i think stroman came off the field untucked his jersey was like that's that's it we have so many there's so many factors in this and i'm not just sticking up for louis rojas this is for all the managers coming off 2020 in a season that was shortened uh strange workloads you don't know what you what you're getting what what you're putting pitchers in as far as you know ability to get hurt there's certain players that you can push and you can't push and and your medical team comes up with the parameters of what you do for player health and you stick to them. So I have no idea, you know, what factors go into it. Uh, but Stroman looked like that was it for him. Like he looked like he didn't, you know, say, Hey, I'm going back out. Um, he didn't fight for an extra inning. He didn't do the Tom Walker. What the hell's going on here? 
Um, he just, he looked like he was done and that's fine. He did a great job. He did another six innings, two runs and a fantastic job. He's done it. We got it in the notes here. 23 times. The most starts of no more than two earned runs allowed this season. Max Scherzer at 23, Walker Bueller at 23, Marcus Stroman at 23. Fantastic. He did his job. Pulling Loop. Loop did four pitches. He did his job too. Is you know, and then you pinch hit for him. And so I, I don't hate the move. It could have you could have asked him to go back out, let him go out there and hit. I, I don't know what the deal is. Let me let me pose something else to you. Please do. So I, I definitely understand what you're saying with protecting players. And like a lot of people on Twitter are like, well, this is the time to push them. And like, we don't know the parameters of what the guidelines are. Stuff like that. Do you think Loop should have been used for the eighth instead, for the top of the order? And do you think a Familia or May for the seventh would have made more sense, facing the bottom of the order? Um, or is or is this just hashing over details and it wouldn't have changed the game? I, I again, I think that we're just we're just hashing it out. It's easy to to second guess because something went wrong. Right. Hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, what I mean, Familia could have gone up and got a one two three inning in the eighth. Who knows? You know, I, who knows what happens? But the Mets were in a chance to win the ball game numerous times and they didn't do it. The, the bottom of the 10th, not scoring that run is the, the, the biggest mistake, but in all actuality, you had, you know, your guy, the face of your franchise, Francisco Lindor up there in that situation could have erased all that, you know? So I, I get it. There's a, a lot of things going on, but I will never question this season it, coming off the shortened COVID season. If, if I'm Marcus Stroman, I didn't pitch last year. I'm in, I've done amazing for myself. I feel good. I don't know how I'm feeling, but I'm sticking to whatever it is that I want to do that I've decided to do as far as how many pitches, how many innings, whatever the case may be. And you don't want to be the guy as an organization to force Stroman back out there and to watch him give up, you know, get hurt you know, whatever the case may be, you do. And again, it's, it's not about the Met season. It's about the players and respecting it. I have nothing. I have, there's so many other factors that go into it. I didn't see anything crazy wrong um, with what he did. He put Familia uh, who's had a great season out there in a game that they were up one in the eighth. So it just didn't work. All right. I can respect, I can definitely respect the outlook. I mean, regardless of what happened, you're going to get scrutinized when you get swept. That's just how the game works. And, and they will wear it accordingly. They got swept. All the players, all the coaching staff will be like, look, we, we, we sucked. We got beat. We got swept. It hurts. It's all our faults. It's my fault. They'll stand up there and say, sorry, I did this. And, and that it's all true. All right, so that's enough of a bummer. Let's move on, shall we? I can't we? wait to get hammered. I can't wait to get hammered for, you know, not hammering on Louis Rojas. Yeah, I can't wait to get hammered drunk uh, watching playoff baseball. I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> All right, let's move. Yeah, there you go. Um, so we got the Phillies coming up, as we mentioned before. Big series to try and play spoiler and beat up on a division rival that's haunted us in the past. Um, the Phillies have a lot to play for. The Phillies have the longest postseason drought in the National League. They're two and a half games out of a wild card spot, and they're trying their best to knuckle their way in and pass the Cardinals and pass the Padres and pass the Reds. This would be a big series for them to win, um, which means that it's a big series for us to kind of try and take away from them because they have an easy schedule the rest of the way. They have a really easy go of it. The Mets are going to be one of the tougher teams that they're facing. So here are some interesting things to note. We're getting the three aces. We're getting Zach Wheeler game one, Aaron Nola game two, Kyle Gibson game three. 
Uh, we've held Bryce Harper at bay, and you mentioned last episode that you're going to give Bryce Harper the Juan Soto treatment. Don't let him beat you. Walk Don't him. Don't let him beat you. Yeah, just walk him. He'll take his walks. He's been doing doing it all year. Don't let him beat you. If he, if he comes up in a situation where he could tie or take the lead, put him on base. Simple as that. Don't let Bryce Harper beat you. Don't do it. There's no point. Because, uh, like, the Phillies lineup is, is functioning now, and they've played some easier teams and had easier pitchers to face. But the one guy that's been doing it all second half is Bryce Harper. He's well on his way to his second MVP. Um, he's batting 190 with 13 strikeouts and 50 plate appearances against the Mets this season. The Mets have been one of the best teams at holding him at bay, even in the games that they have lost to the Phillies. Um, Zach Wheeler last time out threw a shutout against the Mets, uh, so that was pretty heartbreaking. That completed their sweep. Walker also pitched against uh, Wheeler in that game, and Walker's had a rough go of it his past two starts. Um, and the Kyle Gibson, who we're facing in Game 3, he's had a rough go of it in September. 15 innings, 15 runs, 323 batting average against. The Mets have opportunities here. They've, they're very familiar with these guys at this point. They've faced all of them a couple times now this season. Um, and I think if you, if you can even just take one or two here and just slow the roll of the Phillies, who are coming off a huge win against the Cubs where they were down 7 nothing, came back and won the game by more than five runs. Um, they're red hot and you know, they've had, you know, they've had time to build up momentum. They didn't win the series against the Rockies. They lost three or four there. They won the series against the Cubs, but now that you're getting them at home, you're not getting them at, you know, their home ballpark where they've been playing well. And I think just this would be a nice consolation prize for Mets fans to not get walked over by the Phillies again, to not let them do that twice to you. The last two times you face them in the season. This, this, this is the entire Mets season. These, these three games, if you get swept by their aces, you're facing the cream of the crop. You have Zach Wheeler, who's, you know, Max Scherzer, I think, has jumped out ahead for another Cy Young, but Zach Wheeler is pushing that. Um, Aaron Nola, who, who hasn't been great, his usual self this year, but he's elite and he's pitched great against us before. And then Kyle Gibson is having, I think, the greatest season of his career. Uh, he's had, like you said, he had a rough September, but we have it cut out for us. They are stacked against us. Um, but this is what it takes. If you sweep this series, you're you're in there. You get to breathe. You get to fight. You get to go another round. This is win and move on. This is you know this is this is Jimmy V territory. You got to do something. If you get if you get beat, it's over. So win every game. So that's what the Mets have to do. That's how they have to play. They are literally against it here. And if you get to spoil a Philly season. For my man Jolly, that's a win for me. All the better because because you feel it, you feel the rivalry, and if you can knock them out while you know still using them to climb yourself up, this is it. And so I'm excited for this series. Uh, it's going to be tough if, uh, but this is it. This is we have no more game. Like this is if we lose, we're it's out. Like a lot of Mets fans have already given up on the season, myself included. I'm not feeling too optimistic about the rest of the stretch. But here's the thing. The Padres and the Cardinals are playing each other, two teams in the wild card race. One could jump out ahead, or they could completely stall each other out. The Mets are playing the Phillies. The Phillies are the team that's right in front of them. If on the off chance that you sweep this series somehow, even with the momentum not there at all for the Mets, you know, it's it's brand new life. This no one, no one has run away with the wild card other than the Cardinals this past week. For the entire month, all these teams have been playing 500 or below baseball and not beating the teams that they should beat. Um, so even if you don't, want to admit it or or realize it because of how bad the team has played you know it's still right there like it's still winnable and you have tired pitchers and you have guys that are not coming through but sometimes those things can just flip on a dime and like you know weirder things have happened in the sport i'm not feeling optimistic about it but weirder things have happened that's what i'll say 
That's a fact. It's it's again, you shouldn't feel optimistic because there it's not optimism anymore. Now it's desperation. But it's still possible. That's the thing. It's still possible as of now. It's going to take a miracle. Crazier things have happened. It's sports you don't know. You don't that's why you you left in the 8th inning the other day? I did. You deserved uh, the team to come back and walk off. Remember the Miami I have nothing Heat? in the rain. I regret nothing. I was there the night before. I stayed for four and a half hours. You did great. I'm not, uh, but I'm just saying, like those those Miami Heat fans in the playoffs where they oh yeah they left no they early. they deserve that. Never leave That's a what playoff I mean. game early. Never leave a playoff it's game. It's never early. It, you're never done until you're done, and they're not done. It, it can happen. It's not. It's not like. You know, we're a great team. We're moving forward. Now you have to just, you you have to knock everyone out. I want to quickly shout out the Braves fans that didn't leave the NLDS game a couple years ago where they let up 10 in the first inning. Because I wouldn't allow, because you, you never know. Like, they didn't win. They still got rocked that game. But it's a playoff game. How could you leave I, early? I was on that team. Right. You were on that team. Oh, my God. I was God. in their facility. I was in their spring training facility, you know, I was you know, next series, they would have faced some lefties and I had to turn it off. I got, I felt so bad. I turned it back on, but like after that, like watching Fulte kind of just get pummeled and they bring in, you know, I was just like, I, I, I couldn't, I literally couldn't watch it, but they stayed the Braves fans. That's the I, thing I, with me. Like, I, I really like the Braves crop of guys. Like I'm, I know I'm supposed to hate my division rivals, but I love Freeman. I love Acuna, yada, yada, yada. If that happened to the Phillies, I'm watching the whole thing. I'm watching that from start to finish. That's all. That's great for me. But I did feel bad for the Braves. But I like shout out to those fans that didn't leave because like, what if they came back? So that's a whole another sidebar. But yeah. Anyway, uh, so to wrap up today's episode, we got some fun today in Mets history. Uh, this day in 1986, I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with that year and its significance. The Mets won the NL East for the first time in 13 years since 1973. So they snapped their spell there, and they went on to win the World Series. If you watched the 30 for 30, I'm sure you had a better time than watching Mets vs. Cardinals, so good for you. I plan on watching that pretty soon. I have it recorded at home. Um, Jerry, you didn't watch it as well, right, I'm assuming? I haven't watched it. It'll be, it'll be on the list. Um, That'll be an off-season thing for me. Or my wife, excuse me, my wife and I are in the middle of uh, season two of Ted Lasso. Very oh, important. very nice. It's an amazing show. Uh, I mean, talk about just a joy to watch. Love it. Shout out Jason Sudeikis, who I think is a Mets fan. Wait. Not Royals. He's a Kansas City Oh, boy. you're right. Him and Paul Rudd. Yeah, they're Royals fans. Because I remembered seeing him during the World Series. That's why. 15. Yep. Well done, Jer. Way to pull that out. But what a show, too. We're going to cheat a bit for Jog and Jerry's memory because this is just a good one. If you saw it on Twitter, you might know this already. But yesterday, not today, uh, on this day in uh, 2007, 14 years ago, our dear friend Jerry made his MLB debut against the Texas Rangers for the Oakland Athletics. He had a 1-2-3 ninth inning. He retired Nelson Cruz, which is pretty sick, and he struck out David Murphy. The A's lost that game 11-9, but Jerry would hang around in the bigs for the next 13 or so years. So that was a big day for him, big day for the Mets as well, because, you know, he would come around to us eventually. But that's a very special jog in Jerry's memory there. And also an easy one. You know, I got to take it easy sometimes. Combing through game logs. That was, I remember it. I remember it literally like it was yesterday. Um, I remember everything leading up to it from being told I made the, the team. Like I got, I'm getting called up to the first teammate I met that day, there was exit physicals and they, I got in, they said, go up and, and, you know, get your ex exit physical. 
uh, Mike Piazza was sitting on the table next to me. So that was the first teammate I met my first A's teammate. Wow. Um, the next day that I, the day I made my debut that day, uh, there was a benches clearing brawl on the first inning where Vincente Padilla and Nick Swisher, like it was just an amazing, you know, I got chills thinking about it. What a, what a silly thing that I get to do. Um, I got to play the game of baseball, which we get to talk about. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed and I appreciate it. And, you know, it was an absolute blast to, to play. And now I, I enjoy watching and talking as a fan, man. I love it. Well said, Jer. Well said. Well, hopefully we have better games to talk about soon. Hopefully we have exciting games to talk about down the stretch, whether it's this year or next. Uh, but hopefully we can come back to you guys uh, on, what would it be? Today's Friday, right? So we'd come back on Tuesday, I think. Hopefully we come back to you guys on. Yeah, I think we, I just wanted to add, I, now I know why. Billy Bean's coming. He's coming. You think so? I know why. Because, so, so Steve Vucinich, who is the clubhouse manager of the Oakland A's, been there, pretty sure he was a ball boy for the Kansas City A's. There's a wonderful story written about him. He's, he's been the organization guy. Uh, he's retiring after this year. I think he's going to do spring training of next year because he lives in Arizona. Uh, but he's moving on. He's, he's, you know, retiring. He's been there since they were in the Kansas City. He started out as a, uh, a ball boy, wonderful, great human, done a lot for me. He's retiring. And Billy Bean in the article was quoted as like, you know, when we go to our first game and Voos isn't in the Coliseum, you know, it's not going to feel the same. and won't hit me until that moment. Maybe, maybe Voos is pushing him to New York. <laughs> Hey, it's a stretch, but I'll take it. I'm drawn at straws, but but that could be it. Mets fans love drawing at straws, especially in September when we play bad. So I'm, ta- I'm, I'm taking that. That's a Shea Station exclusive, is it not? <laughs> Just saying. Look it up. It's a great article. I can't remember. I don't know if it was in The Athletic, probably in like, you know, the, the Oakland B or something they're like that. They're just planting all the seeds. That's all they're doing. Yeah, but it's a it's a cool story. What a what a man. One of those baseball lifers, literally, like the guy dedicated so many years. Um, super cool. Very cool. Well, with I think with that last little inkling of hope, we're gonna leave you guys today. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, after a pretty dismal series, and hopefully we gave you a little bit of optimism or just something else to think about in uh, the realm of the Mets. Uh, but we'll see you guys next week. And for John Boy Media, I'm Jolly Olive. I'm Jerry Blevins, and thank you for tuning in, guys. This was actually a really fun one. I hope you enjoyed listening. Let's go, Mets. Go beat the Phillies, guys. Call strike three. A career-high 15 strikeouts for Jacob DeGrom. Alonzo to his left.